Hey, welcome to G220 Radio. Tonight, we are going to be talking about the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. And this is the last two chapters. Go and share it. Hey, welcome back to another episode of G220 Radio. This is Ricky Gantz along with Mike Miller, and we are excited because we are closing out the series. I just want to do that with my hands. Closing out the series of the 1689. For those listening via podcast, you really got to go and watch the video. You can see it here on our YouTube channel or on our Facebook channel, but we are really uh, closing out this series on the 1689 tonight. Lord willing, we will get through with it because even if we have to go a little further than the hour program that we uh, normally have, we can do that, but I think we will be able to handle this one tonight in far, as far as getting through with a decent amount of time. I'm, I'm excited, man. This has been, I don't know exactly when I should have looked, I should have looked cause it's kind of historic, but when we actually started the 1689 series, I got to It has to be a couple years ago. I, I, I don't think it was, it wasn't last year. It had to be a couple years ago. It really did. And so it's taking us, taken us a very long time to finish this series, but we're going to do that here tonight. And so go and share it with your friends, like it on whatever social media platform you're watching it, whether that's on Twitter, how are you doing on the Twitter sphere, uh, whether that's on Facebook Live or YouTube, uh, go and share it and uh, let your friends know we're talking about the 1689 tonight. Mike, tell me, man, how you feel about closing out this series tonight? Matt, it feels good. It's been a while since we've closed out a series. So excited. And just the topic. Yeah. We can talk about the state of man after death, the resurrection of the dead, the last judge. I think, uh, Mike, we, we kind of we lost your audio there for a minute. Mike, we, we lost your audio. So Mike was talking and then he just disappeared on us as far as the audio wise. Um, <clears throat> uh, that's something, something popped up now. So I think you're back with us, Mike. There you go. There's something weird going on. Something weird. Something wants to prevent us from this 1689. Demons. Yeah. Demons. It could be. Um, there's a demon under every social media platform. So, uh, uh-huh. all right. So we're, we're going to get into the 1689 tonight. We are excited about it, as we've already mentioned. Uh, there's a lot here. We're talking about the topic of last things and times. Uh, what what happens at the end here? We're talking about the state of man when they die and then the final judgment. This is something that the 1689, um, it's closing it out. Because if you've been with us from the very beginning, everything that has been laid out in the 1689 was thought through. It wasn't just thrown in there in certain, just, oh, it doesn't matter what order it's in. No, it was laid out with a purpose in mind to go all the way through this doctrines to help us see it as it progresses. And now we're coming to the final, the last 
things, 32 chapters in the 1689, and we're going to get into them here tonight. And so it's going to be exciting. It's going to be exciting. So we're going to get in here to chapter 31 of the 1689. As you can see it on the screen, the state of humanity after death and the resurrection of the dead. Now I'm going to go ahead and read this uh, paragraph, and then Mike and I are going to discuss it. Um, it's this, These last two chapters here um, are pretty cut and dry, straightforward with what they have to say. I mean, it really is. But yet there's still some things in here I think we can pull out of it uh, to help you maybe better understand uh, and even us think through some of these things as we're trying to apply the 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 1689 and trying to uh, hold to this confession uh, where, as we've talked about in the past, confessions help us. They're not above Scripture, but they help us to stay in line so that we don't then go into heresies. And the more detailed the confession, uh, the less likely you are to stray away from what the Scriptures say, because what the confession is is laying forth what the Scriptures say about these uh, topics. And so, or these, these doctrines. And so here we go. The bodies of those who have died return to the dust and undergo destruction, but their souls neither die nor sleep because they have an immortal character and immediately return to God who gave them. The souls of the righteous are then made perfect in holiness and, and are received into paradise. Uh, there they are with Christ and behold the face of God in light and glory while they wait for the full redemption of their bodies. The souls of the wicked are thrown into hell, where they remain in torment and utter darkness, reserved for the judgment of the great day. The scripture recognizes no place other than these two for souls separated from their bodies. So there's, there's a lot in there. We're going to try to unpack some of this here. Again, I think it's pretty straightforward as you're reading this. But one of the things you might not recognize that this here in the confession is dealing with is there is this, when it comes to man, there's either a dichotomy of man or there's a trichotomy of man. And the confession here, it, it, it leads to the fact that there is this dichotomy that there is a soul and body. I know some people would say there's body, soul, and spirit, um, but for the confession, those who hold to the confession, uh, they're going to hold to the dichotomy. Now, Mike, as I was thinking about this today, I know we've talked about this. I don't know if we've talked about this on the show or if this was an on offline conversation we had, but I know we've talked about it. I just can't remember if it was on or off uh, of line. But that's one of the things that are here. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's important to that they're working in that to be human, you're both body and soul. And this, um, I would also with you include spirit. So soul and spirit are kind of used interchangeably, though tend to be Pentecostal, tend would disagree with that. But it's really kind of what we see here is what happens to our kind of bodies in the first sentence. And then what happens to our souls as we wait, then there's some things to recognize. So the bodies, our bodies decay. As God said, from dust, you shall come and to dust, you shall go. That's the curse of man. 
Um, yeah, they're in Genesis 3.19. And so we see the decay of our bodies, mm-hmm. but at the same times, our souls remain. Here you see the denial of soul sleep, kind of the idea that when you die, the next thing you know is it's the end times. Mm-hmm. Kind of like when you go to bed at night and you wake up, it's morning time. Kind of that type of idea that's denied here. But also the spirit also isn't subjective to the forces of physicality, of being physical. So we see that the spirit is immortal. It does not die with it. So we start seeing kind of in elements describing a little bit more of who we are as people, what makes a man and to, to go this way. Now, if I remember right, I may be wrong that for the most part in the church, the church is believes in dichotomy. You do have some trichotomy in the early church. It kind of dies off. And then you have now again with, the Pentecostals. That's kind of what I'm mm. remembering from studies. I didn't look into it because I just thought of it, but you, um, you have that, but I do think it's important to think about that to be alive is to both have a body and a spirit. And that it is the, the spirit which enlivens us to be who we are, but it, and that's why, you know, they mummified people and to try to slow the decay down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and just to try to uh, clear it up, because Mike, he was kind of going in and out a little bit there. Um, <clears throat> but just to try to, when we when we take up, speak about the dichotomy and the trichotomy, um, even growing up in an independent fundamentalist Baptist church, we, we was told, you know, you have body, soul, and spirit, uh, these three like the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. So there's these three in one, um, where again, with Reformed theology, uh, mainly in in many of these confessional churches, like what we're talking about here with the 1689, they will hold to a dichotomy. Not that there's not the evidence of spirit in a person's life, but when you see it in scripture, it's not this three of body, soul, and spirit. It's body and soul, and spirit and soul are both interchangeably used together to mean similar or same. Right. And so <clears throat> that's what we're referring to there. But yeah, absolutely. Our physical body, it dies because of the curse of sin. Because it, when you go all the way back to the beginning, when we talk about the scriptures and we get into God and we get into Jesus Christ, and then we get into the fall of man. And in, in the, the 1689, we talk about these things as it's laid out. Now we're coming to the end of this state. That sin, let me see here, um, pull Mike up here. Let me hide that one. All right. Say something to me, Mike. Let me make sure you're good. Sorry about that. No, that's trying to switch from my Wi-Fi to my wired. Yeah. So as I'm saying, like the because of the fall, our bodies physically begin to decay and they die, Um, and then dust to dust. You know, we created out of the dust. We go back to the dust, and they physically decay. But what it's saying here is, is, as you mentioned, Mike, there's the soul. It's not the soul sleep that happens. Um, Our soul, it's immortal. And we're going to live on, whether that's in eternal life 
or that's in eternal condemnation. We're going to live on. And so um, we're coming to that state now when we deal with it here in the 1689 chapter 30, 31. And it says, uh, the souls of the righteous then are made perfect and holy and received into paradise, right? So this is one of those things that we don't believe in, and, and they say this, this here in this paragraph, that these are the only two places for your souls, all right? It's, that's it. There's no, there's no purgatory. But there is this understanding that we have this place of paradise, being in the, in the, in the bosom of God, where you are in the presence of God. If you die today, you're in the presence of God, right? But there is also this, this heaven that is this new uh, heaven and earth that is coming in, in the final, uh, um, in the, the culmination of all things, all right? But there is this par paradise, but it's not, it's not a purgatory, because in purgatory, people are still working to uh, burn off or earn their their purify. righteousness before God. What's that? Yeah, purify, purify themselves. But with what with, with when you when you die, like the thief on the cross today, he was with Christ in paradise when he died because he believed. Right now, in the other opposite or the other uh, spectrum of that is this torment, this outer darkness that's reserved for judgment on the day, great day. This is hell. You're thrown into hell, and then in, in the end, we see that hell and death are cast in to the lake of fire this being then the second death right and then this goes for all eternity too but yeah you're you're either in this place of paradise in the presence of god when you die or you're thrown into hell and so that's what this paragraph is saying any any more you want to add to that mike yeah so to kind of use kind of connect all the biblical language together um with it we think about heaven being up and hell being down and in our physical worlds we and i know i thought this like hell you're thinking of like the center of the universe type idea and to kind of help understand this we should really see the physical realm so earth the galaxies in the middle and kind of this spiritual world surrounding it up and down heaven um hell but even when you think of the languages and even you see it here there's a difference between paradise and heaven kind of in the language paradise is kind of the the waiting room for when heaven comes down and there's kind of this this seeing higher and then we would say and the kind of paradise is within what the Hebrews would call Sheol. And then Jesus gives us language about Hades, kind of this where the wicked goes, kind of in the same way that you have paradise for the righteous, the wicked goes to Hades and kind of this, again, holding area until the final judgment. And then they go to the second death, which is kind of, than the outer layer with it and we understand this because of the the language when jesus gets taken away from the disciples they're looking up they're looking up to the heavens we worship god is enthroned above the heavens so the the language of of height 
this above language kind of shows us and and brings it about of why heaven is kind of above us and so to to think about i mean this is getting kind of maybe a little bit deep in the the weeds and which you probably wanted me to go to but having kind of that understanding that there is a real the real sense that those who die who do not know christ they will go down and that there is this chasm we get that from jesus with um lazarus and the poor beggar that they can't go to and within kind of the protestant tradition that's how we've understood it with it and that there is no room for purgatory that if you are with christ you believe in him you will be with him in paradise that's what jesus tells the thief on the cross before he dies when paul talks about to the philippians that to leave this world is to be with christ these are real things we get to experience this is where christ dwells and so i think to like there's some importance to understand like even the biblical language david talks about going to sheol so i think mm -hmm. you see kind of sheol as this this intermediate place in which the souls of dead people go to the souls that of people who've passed away. And now it's divided between paradise where God dwells and his goodness dwells and the spirit is changed and transformed. And then Hades where the wicked start to feel the punishment of God. They feel his wrath. They don't have his goodness. And those will only get better or worse, depending on which side you're on, when the judgment comes and heaven comes to earth and you have a new earth and a new heavens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot there, right, to unpack. And I mean, it's just trying to understand that, trying to lay it out here. And the confession, I think, does a good job of of just laying this out here in, and again, in plain terms where you can read it, you can understand it. And this, again, this one's from founders. So it's more in a modern English, uh, version. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and move on here. Let's go to paragraph two and three, which is kind of a body together, but we'll go, we'll go through them as we normally do here on the program. It says at the last day, those saints who are found alive will not sleep, but will be changed. Uh, all the dead will be raised up with the very same bodies, not different ones, though they will have different qualities. Uh, their bodies will be united again to their souls forever. So again, very short. That's why I knew we could probably get through these today uh, on this program uh, and finish this out. But still a lot here. Uh, on that last day, those the so saints who are found alive will not sleep, uh, but will be changed. This is speaking of when it talks about sleep, spoken about they're not, they're not going to die. You know, this is when we, we look at, um, now we may have some differences here. Uh, I know me and Mike have some differences on the millennial view, but with the confession here, it's putting this in a 
this is the last day. On the last day, these things are going to happen. Um, and so it would probably go more. You're going to find with um, 1689 churches, they're either going to be amillennial or postmillennial. And postmillennial, more of a, uh, as I've engaged with many who would call themselves postmillennial, they'd say they're uh, Puritan postmillennial, or um, I think that's the right way of, they would put it, like historical postmillennial, or like a Jonathan Edwards kind of view of postmillennialism, not the theonomic kind of. Uh, reconstructionist kind of post-millennial view that we see that's kind of popular today because um, <clears throat> they've made those distinctions with me when we've had those conversations. But um, but yeah, so that's the, the confession here is laying that out. So when, when we talk about the rapture or the being caught up on that last day, those who are alive, they're going to be caught up uh, and, and uh, they're not going to die, right? Uh, but they will be changed. And it says, and, and all the dead will be raised up to the very same bodies, not different ones, Right. And this is what we believe. And, and the confession is speaking of. So like I, I've had um, a family member ask me, what happens if you have yourself like if you're cremated? Because a family member, not a believer, but doesn't want to spend a lot of money on, you know, funeral and all these things. He's like, what happens if you get cremated? Well, ultimately, most importantly to this family member and anyone who's listening, if you're not in Christ, that's the least of your worries of what's going to happen to your, your physical body if you've been cremated, because whether you've been cremated or buried in a grave, if you're not in Christ, you will go to what we talked about in the, the first paragraph into hell, into this punishment, right? But if, if you are a believer, uh, and even if you aren't, if your body is cremated, it's still going to be brought together in, and it says the very same bodies, but it will be different. There's different qualities um, that we'll see with, with those new bodies. Um, and it says their bodies will be united again with their souls. So the so those who have died and passed on right now, who are in the presence of God, at his coming, their their souls are going to be reunited with their bodies. It's going to be a different body in the in the in the same body, but different quality of that body. Yeah. When you think about the cremation story or the cremation argument, it's more modern. Um they haven't cremated probably popular maybe throughout histories here and there, but it's not like an option. Usually if you're cremated, it's because you're a heretic or they thought you're a heretic or you're burned at the stake for some whatever reason, persecution, whatnot. I think we have all of you to think about those. But like you said, there's... God can create the body. I mean, he's the creator. He's already done it. It's not outside of God's power to like, oh, I don't know what to do. This person doesn't have a body anymore. Yeah. God can easily fashion the same body from the dust. Mm -hmm. Like that's not an issue for him. And I just think that, but I do think it says something. That and that's why we bury people in cemeteries, in coffins, because it says something that we believe we'll be resurrected, and that should be a powerful testimony. It probably isn't because that's just what happens now, mm -hmm. but yeah. we do it because we believe there will be a final resurrection that 
those saints who are found that all the dead will raise up with the very same bodies, not different ones. Yeah. And think about, sorry, Mike, but as you were saying that, what came to mind was thinking about these old churches that I've, I've gone and seen some of them I've even visited where they have a cemetery right there on their plot, right next to the church, because as their saints were passing on to go be with the Lord, they're burying their bodies right there, this church. So you've got the, the, the living believers coming to worship. And then you've got the dead saints that are, that are with Christ in heaven, worshiping, you know, um, Christ every single day. And then we're here, their bodies in the grave next to the church. Like, as you was bringing that up, that's just kind of what came to my mind. This, this idea of, yeah, we're, we're a testimony to the world that our saints are buried here, but we're going to rise again. Yeah, and I think that should be, yes, it's cheaper for cremation. But is it all about money? Or is there something that can be said that you are buried in a casket as if you're ready to see the Lord? You're ready for the day of his coming. And that has to be seriously considered. And, and what it says about it. And because as you know, it says they'll come with different qualities. We know what is sown imperishable will be reaped. What is shown perishable will be reaped imperishable there in first Corinthians 15. And that in a twinkling of the eye, we will be changed. We will put off this mortal body and put on an immortal body, a body that will last forever. And our souls will return back to their home where they belong. And this should be a joyous thought for the believer. The judgment comes and now I get to dwell with Christ as Christ is who has a body and a soul mm -hmm. who now lives physically in one place in paradise. And as a believer, I don't have to die to get that. If Christ comes today, I'll be changed now forever. And these should be joyous truths. And it, it's important here that both in the Westminster and the Savoy, that they say die, but the Baptists say sleep. Mm -hmm. I think there's a telling of or the future. Like, yes, we've died. And that capability to die. But in reality, it's just our bodies sleeping for a long time because the souls will come back and they will awaken and be alive again in the resurrection. Mm -hmm. All right. So now uh, paragraph th three here, the, um, the last paragraph of this chapter, it says the bodies of the unjust will be raised by the power of Christ to dishonor by his spirit. The bodies of the just will be raised to honor and will be made like Christ's own glorious body. And so 
We've got some proof text here. And remember when we was talking about proof text on some of the previous programs, because I just recently heard someone who was arguing against Calvinism at one of these new IFB churches. And he said, don't believe what these Calvinists say. They'll have these confessions. And then below their confessions, they'll have these, um, you know, verses down there, but go read the verses because it doesn't even say what those verses are saying they say. And so we need to understand that when we talk about proof text, when they're writing out the confession and they have these proof texts, it's, it's understanding it from a whole perspective of the scripture, but they're giving you some verses to kind of speak to it. But as a whole, knowing what the scriptures teach uh, as a whole. And we got a comment here from Catherine Miller. Uh, Mike, I think you know. You want to read that? Yeah. She says, I've heard that headstones always face the east because of the connection between the sunrise and the and Christ and the return of Christ. Symbolically, Christians, even in their burial, show their readiness for Christ's return. Um, I have not heard that exactly, but I would not be surprised because, believe it or not, early Christians really thought about these things. Yeah. A lot more than what we have mm-hmm. and i think it 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 should drive us to think about these things even more why do we do what we do and what's the point of them and then how can this be a witness of the truths that we believe yeah well, I, think I think that's are important questions that we we just don't think about as christians yeah. kind of in the western world but I think it's like what you said, a testimony or a witness to others to see these things. And as, as your wife there pointed out, these this connection of these headstones uh, facing east, when if they were deliberately doing these things, planning them out to be, again, a witness, the light to the dark world and saying that we have a hope. We have our hope in Christ who has rose from the dead. And because of the resurrection, we can trust we will rise again, right? And so there, it's that testimony to those unbelievers and the people that are passing by and going to these cemeteries and they see uh, these these headstones, they see what, uh, you know, the lives that these people have lived. Um, and a lot of times you only think about the dates on, oh, they were born here and they were born, you know, uh, they died on this day. But for the believer, for believer and unbeliever, we're all going to rise again on that day. Some to dishonor, and some to honor, as it says. So as I was saying with, with proof text, um, that's what uh, they're there for to help us. So oh, I'll pull it over here. So it says Acts 24, 15, having a hope in God. I'm looking over here on this screen because it's over there, but it's over here too. So uh, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. John 5, 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection resurrection of judgment. Philippians three twenty one, Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself? And so those are the proof texts there that, you know, we're going to have this glorified body when our souls are reunited with our body. So that's why when it's talked about earlier, there's going to be, it's the same body, but there's going to be a a difference to it. 
Anything you got to say there for this one, Mike? Are you ready to move on? Let's go. Mike's ready. All right. Let's uh, pull up here. The Last Judgment has a little bit more substance to it. Yeah. All right. Chapter 32, The Last Judgment. Here we go. God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by Jesus Christ, to whom all power and judgment is given by the Father. In that day, the apostles or the apostates, excuse me, the apostate angels, uh, that would be a bad thing if if it was the apostles, (laughs) the apostate angels will be judged. Um, So also all people who have lived on the earth will appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of their thoughts, words, and deeds, and to receive a reckoning according to what they have done in the body, whether good or evil. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this on the show off and on, um, that there is a day in which all men will die and will face judgment. And all people. And the people will be separated from the sheep and the goats, the sheep and the goats. And the book of life will be open and we will have to give an account of the thoughts, the words, and the deeds. That's everything we think, everything we say, and everything we do. And I think that should remind us that God knows all. God knows your secret sins. You may do it in public or in private, and may other people may not know. God knows. We tell our kids this when one of them or both of them are lying. We don't know, like we can't quite decipher what the truth is. We will tell them. God knows. God knows if you're lying. And I think it's a, it's a reminder for us Christians to think about what we do. God knows. And there's, there's wisdom to number our days so that we're not ashamed on how we lived our life. And I think we inherently, because of how we're created, think that we'll live forever. And we will in, in one sense. So it's, we, we just talked about it. But that we live to live forever in this life. And that's not the case. I think so when we we read these things and we think about, well, what does this mean that we're going to have a count of our thoughts, words, and deeds? Well, how we spend our time, what we spend it on matters. And I think it should cause us to be, to think about it and be intentional. And I'm not saying I'm great at this pretty bad at it but it should be something we think about even more about this idea because we will stand before the just judge of all the earth and he will give a just judgment of who we are now being in christ i know my position is sure in christ 
but there's rewards for doing things that he has called us to do, to walk in the way he's called us to walk. And so we see here in the final judgment, kind of the importance of the life we live today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's go on to paragraph number two. And when we get to the end of this here, we're going to give you some information on how you can be the winner of the modern exposition of the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith. This is something that we put out. I remember talking about this, I think it was on when we were covering chapter 11, uh, and we had Dr. Sam Waldron on the program. And that was a long time ago. Um, and now we're finally here. Well, the goal has always been to give away a modern exposition of the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. So if you stick around to the end, you can find out how you can enter in to uh, being one that may win uh, this book giveaway. All right, so paragraph number two. God's purpose for appointing this day is to manifest the glory of his mercy in the eternal salvation of the elect and of his justice in the eternal damnation of the reprobate. Uh, who are or who are wicked and disobedient. For at the time, the righteous will go into everlasting life and receive fullness of joy and glory with everlasting rewards in the presence of the Lord. But the wicked, who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, will be thrown into everlasting torments and punished with everlasting destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. So some of the stuff that you had already mentioned about rewards there, um, this under, again, it, it's it's making this clear that God is going to have this eternal salvation for the elect, that he's got these people that are going to uh, receive this everlasting life. They're going to have the, receive this fullness of joy, glory, these rewards. Uh, and we see this in Romans 9. It's one of the proof texts down here. Uh, Romans 9, 22. Uh, and then you're going to have these vessels that are prepared for destruction. Uh, they're going to go into this throne in everlasting torment, this everlasting destruction. And, and don't let that fool you because we've already talked about, Mike, you brought up, it, it's not about some soul sleep that we, we go in and sleep uh, when we die and we just no longer exist. There's not this annihilationism that's out there that uh, is taught by people proponents with the rethinking hell kind of idea. Um, I know it, it became, it's been around, but it became a little more popular with Rob Bell when he wrote the um, uh, Love Wins, I think that's the title of the book, where it was kind of this universal atonement that everybody's going to, you know, it's love's going to win out in the end. Um, that's not what the scriptures teach, right? We, we've already covered in in chapter 31. There is only two places in which man will spend eternity. There's either in the presence of God for all eternity in heaven or in this everlasting destruction. And so don't let the, the phrase of or the term destruction um, make you think that that means that you're just going to be destroyed. You'll never, you, you won't be around anymore, annihilated. No, it's, it's eternal condemnation that you're facing. It's eternal judgment that you're facing. Yeah, 
And to, to think about even the first sentence, God purpose for appointing this day is to manifest the glory of his mercy and the eternal salvation of the elect. Mm -hmm. And to think about that phrase, it's his mercy and the salvation of the elect and of his judgment and the internal damnation of the retrobate who are wicked and disobedient. Now I hold to double predestination. I hold to what would probably be better called as it a, um, no, I can't think of it. Anyways, it's not an equal predestination. It's not similar. The elect receive God's mercy. They've done nothing to receive God's mercy. God had mercy from them from the beginning of time. The wicked, though they are passed over and they receive the judgment of God, they also they receive the judgment of God because they are wicked and disobedient. They have earned their punishment. They have contributed to this. And even later on, they did not know God nor they obeyed the gospel call. I think you do see here, and rightly within kind of the Reformed tradition, that you have this idea, whether it's direct or indirect, this kind of pre pre um, predestination or double predestination kind of view. But the wicked get what they deserve. They had the freedom in which God has given them to choose, and they disobeyed, as all do. And I think there's that to think about now the gospel call, because it is God's mercy that mm -hmm. saves sinners. It's nothing as a sinner does to be saved. God has to change them first because they would all, if God did not change hearts, did not show his mercy, we would all be eternally damned and we would all be the retrobate. And so even the language, the glory of his mercy really displays who God is that he is one who is merciful, but he's also a God of justice. And so even to, to think about those ideas and then how that plays out, you know, those who are on the receiving end of his mercies, they get the joy, the glory, the everlasting worlds. They get to be in the presence of the Lord. And those who don't, they're they're away from the presence of the lord mm -hmm. they're in even in the, the biblical story this idea of darkness being away from the temple of god being outside of the promised land they don't get to experience god in this fullness of joy and glory they only get to experience god now as the judge they don't get his goodness, which he shined on them in this life. 
they don't get the perks that they had. I know you probably heard this. I've heard this, this idea of that, like hell's going to be this great party. Yeah. And you know, I'm, I'll just be doing what I'm doing now. Well, it's not how it is. Your enjoyment of life is given to you by God. Now you use it sinfully and for your own sinful desires, but having a joyous life isn't wrong. It's how you enjoy this life and who is ultimately the, your joy in this life, but you lose all of that. If you're a retrobate and you go to hell, you don't get to enjoy the goodness God has given you food, the weather, the seasons, family, friends, all of this goodness <clears throat> that God gives you, you lose in hell. You get mm -hmm. away from the presence. Yeah. And that's a scary place to find yourself. That's why when we we, we do this program here uh, and we speak about biblical things, it's ultimately we want to build up the body. We want to encourage the body. Uh, we want to together, even with ourselves, think through these doctrines that we speak about. But for the lost, those who may be tuning in, we want them to hear the good gospel message, this glorious gospel that Christ died. He was buried and he rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures to save sinners from their sin. And if you repent and believe in Christ, you can have eternal life. Now, yes, we believe in the elect, but we also believe whosoever will believe in Christ will come, right? And so we believe that those who put their faith and trust in Christ, yes, it is a work of God that he intercedes and does in the heart of a believer, but we also believe, again, that no one who comes to Christ doesn't come freely. God changes the heart. He changes the desire. He uh, regenerates an individual, and then they freely come to Christ. It is irresistible. Why would you turn away from something so glorious and beautiful? Uh, you wouldn't, right? And so if you've never come to Christ, turn to Christ that you might have life. Uh, and that you're not looking then to this everlasting destruction uh, away from the presence of the Lord. And I know that's been a, a hot thing lately uh, where a lot of people want to talk about, well, you know, even God's present in hell. Yes, ultimately, God is everywhere. He's, he's omnipresent, right? But as Mike was saying, and as the confession is laying out here, it's away from the presence of the Lord. It's away from His grace, just under His wrath. And that is not a place where you want to find yourself. So if you have not repented and believe, do so. All right. Let's go on to our final paragraph here. Christ desires that we firmly, that we be firmly convinced that a day of judgment will come, <clears throat> excuse me, both to deter everyone from sin and to comfort the godly more fully in their adversity. Uh, for this reason, he has determined to keep the day secret, to encourage people to shake off any fleshly security, and always to be watchful, because they do not know the hour when the Lord will come. And so that may be, or that they may be, or I can't even read, So and so that they may always be prepared to say, come Lord Jesus, come quickly, amen. 
Now, I remember uh, my cousin, who's not a believer, he's kind of in some new age stuff these days, but not a believer, uh, said that he wanted nothing to do with the church when he was a kid because they talked about hell and it scared him, right? And when I go out on the streets and I evangelize and I tell people when we get to talking about hell, I tell them, look, I'm not, I'm not telling you about hell because I'm trying to scare you into a decision to make for Christ, but it is the reality that that's where you will end up if you do not turn to Christ. But I think the, the, the thing that holds true here as well is <clears throat> when you consider these things, it is a deterrent from sin. It's like the law that's out there. Now, there is no condemnation for those in Christ, but yet there still is this deterrent. You don't know when Christ is going to return. You want to be ready. You want to be watchful, right? And and you look at, you look at history. I, I, at least I try to, now that I'm older, I actually enjoy learning things about history, whereas when I was a young you know, teenager in school, I didn't really care much for it. But now it just fascinates me. But when you look at the progression of and not in a good way, of the way that uh, the, the America had a moral, a, at least a moral conviction to not do certain things publicly because of there was at least some sense of a Christian understanding in things within the society. They may not have been Christians, but there still was at least some sense, some kind of reverence towards God, Right. Whereas today we don't have that. But those are, were deterrents. Even though they weren't believers, there was still deterrence within a society because those things were present. To whereas now it's as if those things are no longer present because, um, you know, it's just running rampant. I don't know. What do you think, man? Yeah. I mean, when you think of, kind of put it in American law and arguments, I mean, that's the point of the death penalty to it's a punishment in a lesser sense than of hell to deter people from doing crimes that deserve the death penalty mostly murder and usually kind of horrendous murder there is this valid now obviously when you don't have this deterrent or has no teeth it doesn't deter So that makes it different than what we're talking about because this will happen. Yeah. This will come. And we should think about it. And, you know, in one sense, maybe it's too harsh to say it should be scary, but there is a sense in which you kind of want the unbeliever to be scared of where they're going to go apart from Christ. And also having the understanding that they have to come to Christ to be saved. And you even see in American culture, broadly, just people don't really talk about hell. I mean, love wins is this idea of universalism that there is no hell we don't like this idea secret sensitive movements don't want to talk about hell because that's not what the people want to hear i mean i don't listen to a lot of joel olstein sermons but i'm guessing he doesn't talk about hell when he writes books like books like have you be have your best life now or when he's on larry king live 
And he's just like, well, I don't know if people go to hell. Like, these are the realities in which the Bible talks about. And even how the confession starts it off, Christ <clears throat> desires that we be firmly convinced that a day of judgment will come. Mm -hmm. That's what Christ wants us to desire this. Both to deter us from sin so that we're not found when he comes, not living out the gospel we claim to have. I mean, even Paul talks about some will make it to heaven by very little. This kind of idea um, that goes with it. And, but also, and we don't experience this, and I think it's important to even point out that in persecution, the day of judgment is great comfort because you know that what happens here on earth will be punished there. When Islamic terrorists behead Christians, either they will be saved or they're going to face their judgment for killing them. And I think that's when we, we think about the judgment that should bring us not only like a healthy, reverent fear of Christ, but also comfort in affliction when people sin against you and it's obviously it's wrong and they get away with it whether you know the courts find them not guilty of a crime they've committed because of technicalities god will judge them and that's that's comfort for us peter talks about this in his you know in his letters and an encouragement for it and even with that, I mean, just even the idea that the son of that's kept sec, secret from us so that we would be the faithful slave who is ready when the master returns. These are parables Jesus gives us. And again, that idea of intentionality mm -hmm. of continuing on the word thought and deed that we have that we are living in a life preparing for eternity waiting for the lord to come and noticing even in the sin around us having that preparation with it i know there's some influential quote-unquote Reformed Baptist, maybe on the closer on the West Coast end, that will kind of shy away from people who will be quickly to say, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. But I think there's the reality of the world and that we should have this Christ can come at any time moment this mm -hmm. is one thing that has been believed throughout all of history i mean that's why you have people picking telling us 88 reasons why 
the rapture is going to occur in 1988. Because we were told to be prepared, be ready. Now, that's an abuse of it. Mm -hmm. But the, the substance is still there. We're called to be ready for when the master returns. And the question is, are you ready? Are you doing what God has called you to do in this life? Are you ready for the master come? Yeah. And just to put it out there before we get hate mail from the hyper grace individuals, because I've already said repent and Mike just said, uh, you know, will you be found, you know, doing the things uh, that the master, you know, has given us to do. Um, we don't believe anybody saved by works. So I can just see the hyper grace people already. I've been dealing with them for the last couple of weeks. And, uh, but well, the reality is this is dead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Faith without works is dead. Um, but we also do see it when the master goes away and he leaves the three servants with talents and the two actually invest in those talents and produce more talents. And he says, Hey, you're faithful with a little, I'm going to give you more. And then you have the one who just like, I'm not going to do anything with this, this talent that God has given to me. Right. And so our works don't save us, but those who have genuine faith will produce works because it is God who is working through us to bring about those good works. And so just something that came to mind because, like I said, I've been dealing with a lot of hyper grace guys uh, the last couple of weeks. And uh, that seems to be their biggest argument is that uh, we are te teaching works based salvation. When you say things like repent or, you know, uh, that uh, fruit is evidence of salvation. So, but like you said, Mike, and I've also heard people over there on the West Coast or whatnot, uh, Reformed Baptist guys, say that this is kind of like a, uh, an easy out kind of thing. Yeah. Defeatist kind of mentality or whatever to say, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. But isn't it our desire? I mean, Paul, when he says, when he says that it would be benefit, it would benefit him to leave and go be in the presence of the Lord. He's not saying I want to stay because I don't want to go be in the presence of the Lord. He's saying, but for your benefit, it's better that I stay here now to be of some uh, um, uh, blessing to you to the people that he's writing to. But every believer should want to be in the presence of the Lord, and we should be looking and seeking and ready for his return. So we can say with great confidence and boldness and hope, come, Lord Jesus, come. Again, come quickly, Lord. Right? Amen. And uh, we can say that, and it's not a defeatist mentality. It's not giving in. We trust in the sovereign God. And he's going to come at the exact appointed time in which he's already declared and decreed that that is going to be the day in which he will come. And these are the things that are going to take, uh, take place. When the Lord comes, the dead are going to rise. Uh, the unbelievers, the unrighteous to dishonor and judgment and condemnation. And those who are of the elect who have uh, come to faith in Christ, judged, or they're going to come and stand before God and they're going to be uh, receiving the crowns of these 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 um, rewards in which they've earned. Uh, I don't even know if I should say it like that. Rewards, you know, um, for the work that that God has given us to do. 
And so, I mean, where do you stand today? Where do you stand with Christ? That is the big question. Yeah. So, Mike, any last uh, thoughts before we uh, wrap it up and let people know how they can get in, entered in to win this book? Yeah, I just I want to go to Philippians chapter one, which is kind of what you're alluding to. Kind of second part of verse eighteen. I'll read a couple of verses. So Paul says, "Yes, I will rejoice." And this is that people are proclaiming Christ, whether for good reasons or bad reasons. He's going to rejoice that they're preaching Christ. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. That is my eager expectation to hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but have full courage now as always. Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Mm -hmm. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I are to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet I shall not choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with you all, for all your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample causes, cause to glory in Christ Jesus, because of my coming to you. When we think about what Paul is talking about there, he has two decisions. There's not a right and a wrong in these decisions. Either he he dies because of persecution, so he's in jail, the first imprisonment kind of probably, I think that he's in his first imprisonment would be the end of Acts is when he's writing this. So he's in jail. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him. And he's telling the Philippians, whether I die or whether I live, my life is Christ. And if I die, this is good. I'm delivered from this body of sin. And I'm now with Christ in this imperishable, I'm with Christ. But if I don't got, die, if, I, if I've delivered from this trial it's good for you that they may glory in christ jesus and when we think about these uh, these kind of this tension paul is writing about in philippians 1 you can kind of in that last paragraph of the confession see see it and kind of sums up what we've talked about that those who die will be with Christ. But there's also this idea for Christ to come quickly because we get to put off the sinful flesh, be with Jesus and be resurrected with an imperishable flesh, a flesh not tainted by sin, a flesh that it will not decay. And we'll, yeah. and maintaining the presence of the Lord. I think when we should cause us kind of to live in that tension, that being here and trying to bring people so they can glory in Christ or to when the Lord takes away, 
we get to be in the presence of God and we live kind of in that tension. And so, yeah, that kind of defeatist mentality that often is included with people who want to say, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. I think it's just what we desire as children and strangers in a world that is not our own because mm-hmm. we're not of this world. We are born from above. We have the, we are in now right relationship with the creator. Unlike the world and the world systems and the demonic forces in this world who are on the wrong side of the graces of the of the lord and again it's sometimes christianity you live in the tensions but we need to make sure they're in their proper places mm-hmm. yeah absolutely man All right, so that has been the 1689 series that we are wrapping up. Now, here is how you can enter to be the winner of the modern exposition of the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith written by Sam Waldron, Dr. Sam Waldron. So we are going to announce the winner of this book, should there be one. Um, If you enter, that's how we get one. Don't enter. That's how we don't get one. Um, but to, to enter in to have your opportunity to win this book, starting tomorrow, uh, the 12th, <clears throat> all the way through the 22nd of January. So the 12th through the 22nd of January, every day you have an opportunity to have your name entered twice into the pot so to speak, that we will be drawing from. So let's just say if I entered two times tomorrow and then two times on the 13th and two times on the 14th, that's six entries for this opportunity to win. If you just do one time, then from the 12th all the way to the the 22nd, you have one entry in a pot. So you have more opportunity to get your name into the pot um, by sharing one of the episodes of the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. They have to be different episodes that you would share. There's 32 chapters in the 1689. You have some of them were combined, like tonight it was a combined, so we have maybe a little less than 30, because I think a couple of them were combined. But what you'll do is you can either go to Podbean and pull those up. You can go to our YouTube channel and pull those up. But if you share them, You have to hashtag G220 radio and hashtag 1689. Okay. So you hashtag G220 radio and hashtag 1689. By doing so, every time you share a new episode, up to two entries per day. So if you shared chapter 30 and chapter 31 and 32, because this is a one episode tomorrow, that's two entries for you with the hashtag G220 radio and G and uh, 1689. And that's two times you would go into the bowl that we would draw, draw from, so to speak. And so that's how you can do that. Now you have from starting tomorrow all the way to the 22nd, and then we will compile, compile those, put them in, have a drawing, and that will be announced on the 25th of uh, January. And so don't want to make it easy. I mean, we, it's taken us a couple years to uh, get this series completed. 
but also want to um, get a book into the hand of the winner, and you can help us as well in the process by going out there and sharing this series with other people to let them be become familiar with the 1689. So that's the way we're doing that here. If you have any questions about it, you can email us at g220radio at gmail.com and we will answer any questions if that was not clear enough i think it was clear uh hopefully you'll be able to do that and again on your social media sites just hashtag g220radio and hashtag 1689 with the episode and they have to be from the 1689 series uh we have over 500 and some episodes on g220 radio if you'd like to share those go ahead share those but um if you want to win this book that's what you've got to do all right i did some sleuthing while you're doing the promo and this will help the people out too the first episode of the 1689 series happened on april at least on this date april 4th 2018 so if you click on 20 april 2018 on podbean on the side i think that's the only place you're gonna be able to get the this episode um that is where you can start so april 18th april 2018 is the first episode man 2018 i knew it had to be a couple years because uh it is now 2022 and so almost four yeah almost four years wow that's a long time to finish a series but we've done a lot of shows in between uh and so um you know we we don't uh, we've done a few series. We'd like to wrap up some of the series. We still have Proverbs. We'd like to get back in, do some more in Proverbs. But it's there's always something else coming up as well. And so we want to have a variety. And that is why it has taken us so long to get through this. But I am glad that we are done. And now you have an opportunity to win a modern exposition of the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith. Now, next week on G220 Radio, tune in make sure you share it make sure you are uh giving us some feedback g220 radio at gmail.com until next week that has been g220 radio for tonight god bless and peace